Let's, uh, let's go ahead and dive in. I will not read this quite as quickly, and she did a different version, a non, uh, she didn't do Matthew, so I'll do the Matthew's version of, of Palm Sunday. So uh, it's good to be here with you this morning, and let's dive in to the 21st chapter of Matthew, verses 1 through 11. Matthew writes, When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied in a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt the foal of a donkey. And the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them. And he sat on them. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road. And others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that were followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. This, sisters and brothers in Christ, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let's pray. God, we give you praise for this joyful day. We thank you for our children. We thank you for the celebration of who you are and what you have done for us. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen and amen. Well, if you've been with ZPC uh, over the last couple months, you know that this is uh, something of a whiplash Sunday, if you will. Because over the last two months, we've been focusing on the Sermon on the Mount, which is the fifth, sixth, and seventh chapters of Matthew. And of course, those happen at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry. And, and now all of a sudden, here we are towards the end of his ministry. And I think kind of as our kids kind of uh, made very clear, it can be a very a celebratory time, Palm Sunday. I always remember that growing up. Sometimes you'd have a parade, you'd have palms, you'd have singing, of course, you'd have shouts of Hosanna. It was always kind of a a celebratory Sunday. And my guess is that it was a celebratory Sunday or a day um, here as well. Uh, The the story of Palm Sunday always begins a little bit interesting, it seems to me, with uh, Jesus making this somewhat strange command of the disciples. He told two of them, Go into the city and find a colt and a donkey, as, um, as Matthew says it. And uh, I've always thought that that was a little bit of a strange command because then he goes on to say, and maybe you caught this, that if anyone asks you about it, of course, just tell them that the Lord needs it. And whenever this uh, story comes up, one of the questions that's oftentimes asked is the simple question of, of wondering, um, how in the world was it that Jesus knew that there was going to be a donkey at all there in the town? And, and some would suggest that perhaps he had, uh, he had already planned, he had already made arrangements for there to be a donkey there, and that's exactly how it happened. And, and others would suggest, well, Matthew's trying to talk about how this was something of a, of a miracle, if you will, and that, and that Jesus clearly knew as God what was going to happen. 
Whatever it is, whether or not Jesus had just arranged it or whether or not probably it was some sort of miracle, what we can't overlook when it comes to the story is the importance of the fact that the disciples obeyed. I think sometimes we get caught up in the miracles or whatnot and we overlook the fact that oftentimes what Jesus asks of us is not to do something miraculous, but instead is simply to obey Jesus in small ways each and every day. You see, their willingness to go in and to find this donkey and their willingness beyond that, it seems to me, to just think, well, if someone asks why we're stealing these things, we'll just say, the Lord needs them. Um, Their willingness to do that allowed them to experience Jesus in a remarkable way. Their actions were not exactly all that exorbitant or outrageous. They simply did what Jesus asked. And so perhaps we have just a small lesson here about the fact that it's oftentimes about those daily acts of obedience that open up ways for us to experience Jesus in ways we never would have had we not obeyed him. And so sure enough, they go, they get the donkey, they're walking towards Jerusalem, and as they do so, we're told, they take off their cloak, right, and they throw it down on the ground. And one of the things that we talked about in the Sermon on the Mount was that most people had how many cloaks? One. So when they gave up their cloak, it wasn't like they put it there and, you know, right there in front of the donkey and the mud and the, the, the dirt and, and thought, well, that's okay, I've got a better one back at the house. It's that they were willingly to give up everything that they had in this one cloak and say, well, we'll do this for the Messiah. And so they do that, and there's obviously Jesus is coming in. There's much celebration. There's singing of Hosanna. There's palm branches. Everything um, is exactly um, as Jesus, it seems to me, would have wanted. There's much celebration amongst that large crowd that has gathered. Sometimes when we look at this story, that's where we end. We forget about the fact that actually Matthew continues by telling us that not everybody was excited. In fact, Matthew goes on to say that there were those in the city, probably the bulk of the people, who were wondering who this was, and we are told they were frightened. Now, literally, in the Greek, it doesn't say frightened. Literally, what it says is seismic. In other words, um, they quaked, much like an earthquake. And before this, there's only one other time in the Gospel of Matthew, before this particular passage, where we see that Jerusalem quaked. Does anyone know when that is? You're absolutely right. It is when Herod found out from the wise men that Jesus had been born. And perhaps you'll remember it said that he was angry or something. And he and the whole city with him. The whole city quaked. Right? And right after this, we're told, so no more quaking until this particular time on Palm Sunday. And then there are two other times right after this where we are told that all of Jerusalem is quaking. Do you know when that is? The crucifixion and the resurrection. See, very good. You guys are good. So the crucifixion and the resurrection. 
And one of the things that I think is great about this particular uh, passage is the fact of this juxtaposition between the fact that some of them were so excited and celebrating and others were frightened, were quaking. And I think it's a great lesson to the fact of the reality that oftentimes whenever Jesus enters into a situation, or perhaps to put it even more personally, whenever Jesus enters into your life, there will always be parts of you that are very excited, parts of you that are celebratory, parts of you who say thank you for your grace and your love and your mercy. But if you're honest, there should also be parts of you that are deathly afraid. Because Jesus is always going to ask you to give up something or to die, to have some part of you die as soon as he comes into the scene. And so we have this great image, if you will, in Palm Sunday with the realities of both the joy and the fear and the quaking that happens whenever Jesus comes into our lives. And so the question then that has to be asked by every preacher on this particular Sunday is what in the world am I going to say this Sunday that I haven't said the previous one, two, three, five, or ten Sundays, Palm Sundays? I mean, this is not really an easy thing to do to try to keep coming up with something new, right? It's the same question that I'll have to deal with next Easter, right? That all the preachers will have to be thinking about next Sunday. It's the same one that you think about when it comes to Christmas Eve. And and the reality is, if you are a preacher, you are probably not going to say anything new or different. And if you do, you're probably just making stuff up, right? Right? And so what, what to do with a particular passage like this? And that was the question that I had in my mind all week. And, and Tuesday, as I was kind of reading over some things, um, I read this commentator. And, and, and the question that he asked when it came to this particular passage was, why is it that people were drawn to Jesus? Why were they excited about him? What, 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 what did people admire about him? Because perhaps, he said, it's the same thing that people admire about Jesus now. And so they wrestled with that a little bit. And he said, well, one of the things is the fact that Jesus was courageous. And they loved the fact that Jesus was courageous. Because there he was. He was going to go into the lion's den and he was not afraid. He was going to go in there. He was not going to allow the people who he knew didn't like him, who were going to try and kill him and eventually would kill him. He wasn't going to allow that to stop him from going in. So that's exactly what he does, right? And so what this commentator said is he says, you know what, I think that that's perfect. And, and he says, you know what, and he says this very quickly after, and this is oftentimes what people say, and it's very true. A research has shown it, especially for young adults, which is that, you know what, the, the church should be more like Jesus. Because the problem nowadays is that people love Jesus, but they do not love the church. And quite frankly, it's a good sermon, and I've preached that sermon, I think, here before, at least once probably, about the fact that we need to be more like Jesus, about the fact that oftentimes the church doesn't look like that, and of course then people don't like the church as much. But as I thought about it this week, there was something else that kind of came to my mind when I thought about the reality of Jesus or of people loving Jesus and not the church. But before I get into that, let me say one quick thing, which has to be said every single Palm Sunday, it seems to me, which is that it is the greatest image that we have 
in all the Bible, it seems to me, of both the humanity and the divinity of Jesus. Uh, from time to time, uh, my guess is if you're married, maybe this has happened to you uh, before. From time to time, my wife Megan will say to me, uh, Jerry, I need your help um, in figuring out what shoes to wear with this particular outfit. I've narrowed it down to two, so I need your help. And so I'll say, okay. And so she'll stand there. And so she has one shoe on each, right? But you can't just kind of look at it like that because it just gets too confusing. And so she'll, she'll pick up her foot, right? And be like, okay. And then she'll do this, Right? And so I'll say, I think I like this one, and so she'll choose that one, right? And so this is just kind of what happens, right? But there are times when perhaps the shoe, the heel was a little bit too high. So she can't really lift her leg up because she might fall. And so when that happens, what I do is I put up a hand, right? And so I put up a hand right here so that I can't see the shoe because you don't want to cheat, right? And so then I look, and I say, okay, and then I move the hand over here, and I say, okay, right? And then I choose, you know, which one I think is best, right? And in many ways, I think that's something that we can do with this particular scene. You see, if we look at Jesus riding it on the donkey, and we put our hands at the bottom, right, and we just look at the upper half of Jesus, then what we see is a divinity of who he is. Because what we see is we see somebody who's, who's perhaps his arms are clean, and, and, and we see someone who's, you know, in that day and age, you know, he's just kind of gently kind of, you know, going in, and you're like, okay, he's probably riding some kind of great horse. And, and, and you see the, the palm branches that are waving, and you, you hear the hosannas, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And you think, wow, this is some kind of king. It's some kind of Messiah, maybe even God. But then, if you move your hand up, and you see, let's say, just from the waist down, and you see the donkey, what you get is a very different picture, right? You, you begin to see kind of the, the, the fact that this is not really a regal kind of prancing of a horse. I'm not going to try to do it, but you know what I'm saying. This is, this is more of a plodding kind of short-legged donkey, right? You, you can see the mud, perhaps the mud that's gone up onto Jesus's legs. You can smell the donkey, right? Um, on Friday, I did devotions for, um, for the food pantry folks, and, and I asked them, what does a donkey smell like? And this guy in a moment, he raised his hand, he says, well, a donkey smells like a donkey, right? And, and that's all the description you need, right? I mean, if someone comes to you and says, hey, I just want you to know, you smell a bit like a donkey, you know that that's not a compliment, right? Right? And so there, all of a sudden, in the midst of that, as we're looking at this lower, we see this kind of beautiful picture of humanity, of the muck and the mire and the smell and the stench of humanity. But when we take our hand away, we realize it's not two different pictures, right? It's one picture of Jesus in his divinity and in his humanity. But most oftentimes, we're not comfortable looking at both of those things. It's kind of beyond us, if you will. And I think that if we are going to kind of err on one side or another, we oftentimes err on the divinity of Jesus, on the, the part because it makes sense to us, the, the love and the grace and the forgiveness. That's the part that we like to look at more often than not. We tend not to really focus much on Jesus' humanity. But what happens when we do that 
is that we begin to realize, of course, that if the church is supposed to be a reflection of Jesus, and if all we really focus on are the divine parts of Jesus, on the beauty, the forgiveness, the grace, all those parts, then we end up beginning to picture in our heads, as do others in their heads, that the church is is a divine place. That the church is a place that always lives up to what God wants it to. That it is this kind of ideal, heaven-like place. And when we begin to think about the church like that, and all of a sudden then begin to meet with the reality of what church oftentimes is, then people begin to grow cynical and bitter. They begin to get angry. Perhaps they say, I'm going to go someplace else. There's another church that I'm pretty sure is all divine, that there's no human aspect to them at all. Right? They begin to either say that or some just say, forget church at all. I love Jesus, but I do not love the, the church. And so what happens then is we're left with this group of people who oftentimes then keep wondering, surely there's something more. Surely this is not really the church being the church. And we forget that the church by its very nature is always going to have a human element to it. And that even though Jesus was surely perfect, even in his humanity, his willingness to get into the muck and the mire and the stench of our world helps to shatter, or at least it should, this idealized view that we have that there is a perfect church out there. That just as we have this strange juxtaposition between the divine and the human Jesus, there is also this strange juxtaposition between the church as we think it should be, as it should be, and the church as it is. We have to realize that this is simply what it means to be church, that it will always be full of remarkably human people, and that when we see the worst parts of church, it's not that that place is no longer a church, it's that we're actually seeing the whole view. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes this remarkable book. Um, Hopefully you've heard of it. If not, and you want to know what church is, I would highly encourage you to get it. It's called Life Together. And there's a lot of great things about his book, Life Together, but one of those things I want to share with you today, and here's what Bonhoeffer says He says, just as surely as God desires to lead us to a knowledge of genuine Christian fellowship, in other words, to be church, so surely must we be overwhelmed by a great disillusionment with others, with Christians in general, and if we are are fortunate, even with ourselves. Only that fellowship which faces disillusionment with all of its unhappy and ugly aspects begins to be what it should be in God's sight, begins to grasp in faith the promise that is given to us. In other words, disillusionment and reality of the church should not be what forces us or makes us go away. It's actually the very beginning of church. That until you are willing to grapple with the fact that the church is remarkably human, you will never be able to help us become a church that God has called us to be. In fact, as someone has said, conflict and frustration are the very fabric of spiritual growth. 
And that rather than allowing the real parts of church, the earthy parts of church, the less glamorous parts of church say, that's the end of me for when it comes to church, it should actually be the very beginning. Because that means that now you can really understand what it means to be church. In fact, I think you can't actually say, I love Jesus, but not the church. Because if you really understand what it means to love Jesus, then you know that Jesus was always in the muck and the mire, in the less glamorous and heavenly parts of the world. As I was thinking about all of this, I was reminded of, of high school. Didn't you just love high school? And at my particular high school, and my guess is that this is not, that I'm not alone here, and it probably continues to be the case today. What kind of car you drove was very important. And so, whenever anyone would ask me, little pimply-faced 17-year-old Jerry, tell me, what kind of car do you drive? I would always tell them, I drive a 1981 VET. Which was absolutely true. And in case you've missed what a 1981 VET looks like, let me remind you, that's exactly what it looks like right there. Now, this is a beautiful car, is it not? I mean, this thing, it has power, it's sleek, it's heavenly, right? And so, of course, when I told, especially guys, you know, I drive an 81 vet, they were very impressed. Even the girls were pretty impressed. Which lasted until they saw me drive my car into the high school parking lot. And they would realize that when I said I drove an 81 vet, which was very true, What I meant was that I drive a 1981 Chevette. (laughs) Still very sweet, am I right? (laughs) This was a Chevette that I bought for $500 from my sister. And uh, we'd gotten the paint job at a local junior college, which meant that it wasn't really that great of a paint job. And it wasn't long before it started... (laughs) oxidizing or something, and the air conditioner didn't work that great, which was not good if you live in humid Florida. It, uh, it had, a, had a tape player, which was great, you know, back in the day, but unfortunately, um, the tape would oftentimes get stuck in there, right? And so, you, and you couldn't just convert it to radio. You had to listen. If the tape was in there, you had to listen to it. And so, I listened for months to this group called PID, Preachers in Disguise. They're uh, They're really good. And if you ever want to know the lyrics to any of their raps, um, you let me know because I have them all memorized because I listen to it again and again. And and, and not to be outdone, um, whenever you went over a puddle, and this is no joke, whenever you went over a puddle, you had to pick up your feet because water would always come up on your leg because there were holes in the floorboard. It was an awesome ride. It was a very human car. And the reality is, though, is that both of them were vets, right? One, the Corvette, was a bit more heavenly. Uh, The other, the Chevette, was a bit more human, right? To put this in the kind of Palm Sunday lingo, you can uh, see the slide here of, uh, of the two. Uh, there it is, right there. See, this is, this is basically, if you put your hand like this, you know, that's the heavenly. You put your hand like that, you see the very humanly aspect. Do you see it? The truth is that on most days, most of our churches are Chevettes. 
We, we, we love the image of the Corvette. That's what we're aiming for. We think it's heavenly. We want to get there. We want to be, as we've been talking about, the, the prototype of God's kingdom. We realize that. It's true. We're shooting for that. But most times, we simply are not the Corvette. Most times, we are the Chevette. And quite frankly, there's oftentimes, that means that we have holes in us. Our painting's not always that great. And sometimes we have a bit of a weird smell. But I want you to know as well that no matter what church you go to, they will always be Chevette's. There may be some, like mine, that were the deluxe edition. And this is, this is God's honest truth, it, which meant that it, it, it had a, a rearview mirror that during the nighttime you could flip up or down. I know that seems very normal now. It meant it had, uh, 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 had dual side mirrors, not just the one. And it meant that it had, just like this one, luggage racks, Right? But no matter what, they are Chevettes. Almost all of us are Chevettes. And almost all churches, all churches are Chevettes. Now we have days when we are a Corvette. But the reality, of course, is, is that this is how we have been made. And we will not always be the Corvette. And so one of the things that we be, are able to kind of grasp in this beautiful kind of juxtaposition between the heavenly and between the earthly in Jesus is the fact that that's who we reflect. And so the encouragement for all of us, it seems to me, is that whenever you are wrestling, right, with one of these things, with the humanness of our church or the humanness of some other church, is to remember that this is the church that Jesus began. Megan uh, looked over this sermon uh, yesterday, as she oftentimes did. Someone told me that I should say uh, after the 9 o'clock that she vets the sermon, uh, which, yeah, I know, it's kind of lame, but it wasn't me who came up with the idea. So, but I thought I would try it. And so after reading it, she said, you know what, this is, she said, yeah, it gets the stamp for real, it's great. She goes, but you know, people are going to wonder, like, why are you preaching this? Are, are people leaving? Are, are people upset? Is that what's going on? And so I want you to know, that's not, at least as far as I can tell, it's not what's happening at all. But I think this is the healthy, when the church is in a healthy place, is the time to ask these kinds of questions. Because there will be times when we struggle. There will be times when you meet folks or folks in the church with whom you disagree or they don't act very heavenly. And so I want to encourage you in the midst of that, in those times for you to think about the donkey, to think about Palm Sunday. And, and if you meet somebody along the road and you meet somebody who says, you know what, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. I want to encourage you to tell them, you know, Shevet. <laughs> the, the car, that's what I'm saying, Right? And, and, and remind them that it's all the vet. That yeah, there's going to be days when we hit the Corvette, when we hit exactly what it is that Jesus wants. And then there's going to be other days when we don't and we look remarkably human. But the joy, of course, is to continue in the mission together. Oftentimes, as I would ride in that Chevette with friends of mine, they would begin to mock my car. And when they did, I would tell them the door is unlocked. You can get out if you want. But they never did. Because they knew at the end of the day, it was better to be together in that Chevette than it was to walk alone. So my hope and my prayer in this week and in the days and weeks to come is that we will be a people who are not afraid to continue in our Chevette together. Some days we'll look much better than that and other days we will not. But together, it seems to me, we can drive closer and closer 
to the Jesus who was fully divine, but also fully human. Amen? Amen.